Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This morning, I wanted to share with you a sermon from one of my favorite Bible stories. We've all got favorite Bible stories, right? I've got about a dozen of them that I would say are my favorites. They're all good. But uh, this is a sermon wrapped around one of my favorite Bible stories. I entitled this sermon, The Grapes of Wrath. It has nothing to do with John Steinbeck or the Depression or any of that, but it does have to do with grapes, and it does have to do with some wrath. So that's where I got the title. It's basically a story about how we really ought to be living our lives. And did you know there are, there are basically two ways in which all of us can live our life? We can live our life by passion, or we can live it by principle. Two ways of living our lives, by passions or by principle. And we live in a society that since the time of Adam and Eve has pretty much been driven by passion rather than by principle. We still don't get it right a lot of the times. So I find it ironic that at this time in our history, when our society has developed uh, such a vast educational system and more and more people getting uh, seeking higher and higher degrees that at a grassroots level, we are still largely ruled by our emotions a lot of times. And unfortunately, we as citizens of the United States, we have seen this example before us from the highest levels of, of government on down and from uh, Hollywood, from uh, athletes, just all of these people that people that tend to hold in high esteem are usually giving us really, really bad examples of how to live our lives. So let me give you these two definitions. Passion, definition of passion, a strong feeling or emotion, violent anger, extreme desire. Here's the definition of principle, a general truth, a fundamental law of uprightness. Principles are derived from God's Word. Can we agree on that? Principles are derived from God's words. Passions are derived from our hearts. Therefore, there's a lot of bad passion that gets, comes out of these hearts sometimes, right? A lot of times the word passion, just, the word itself contains this negative connotation. Crimes of passion. Well, it was a crime of passion. Somebody did something out of some sudden urge of violent anger. However, passion can be a very, very positive force in our life if it's guided by principles. You with me? Remember that part of that definition of passion is a strong feeling or emotion. You know, we think of the passion of the Christ. His passion is to have this personal relationship with each of us. But the big problem is uh, oftentimes our passions are not his passions. We tend to get things mixed up a lot of times. The Bible teaches us to live by godly principles rather than be ruled by the passions of our heart. Because following God's principles will always lead us up this path of deliverance but following our passions are always going to lead us down a path of destruction. It never fails. 
So let's look at these two lifestyles, lifestyle by principle or lifestyle by passion. And I want to begin this morning by reading you this particular Bible story. It's found in uh, the book of 1 Kings, 21st chapter of 1 Kings. There's this very interesting story about King Ahab. Anybody remember King Ahab? Not to be confused with Captain Ahab. This, is, this story has nothing to do with white whales or whales of any color whatsoever. We're talking about King Ahab. And so the 1 Kings 21, 1 through 29, I'm going to read you the story this morning. <clears throat> Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's so close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbids that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyards, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters, she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. But seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters. She had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then the two scoundrels came sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. They sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet King Ahab who rules in Samaria. He's now in Naboth's vineyard where he's gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Basha. 
because you have aroused my anger and caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. So here, this is a pretty interesting story. It, it shows in such a very black and white fashion the difference between someone living a life of principle and someone living a life by passion. But let's talk about principle first. King Ahab, he, he goes up to Naboth, and he's trying in his mind to make Naboth a reasonable offer. He's kind of like trying to be the godfather. You know, I'll, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. And he makes him an offer. Now, if you look up this word, the definition of reasonable, here's what you get. Dealing with fairness. You know, if, if we live our life by God's principles, we will always deal with people fairly. Amen? So maybe at first, King Ahab was trying to be reasonable. He says, listen, if you'll give me your little vineyard, I'll give you an, a, a much better vineyard. Uh, vineyard. Uh, and he says, and if you don't want that, I will pay you whatever you think it's worth. He's given Naboth a chance to write his own check, basically. Well, on the surface, it sounds reasonable, right? But there's a big problem, and I think Ahab was completely aware of this problem, which is why he was most likely trying to make this deal sound so sweet. Because as reasonable as the deal sounded, it was going against God's principles of land ownership under the old law. The land could be leased by a, an Israelite, but the land could never be sold to someone who was outside the family. You don't sell to outside the family. You just can't do it. It's against the law. It's against God's law. And I have a sneaking hunch Ahab probably knew all about that. But it just was bugging him to death because just leasing the land was never going to be good enough. He had to have it for himself. He'd already set his sights and he was not used to dealing with the word no. Kind of like a kid. That's how kids are, right? They don't like to hit, deal with the word no. And when they hear that word, sometimes they just pitch a living fit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? How kids act? No. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy stuff. They don't like that word no. So the way that Ahab reacts here, it tells us a lot about his desire to live by either passion or by principle. Because I'm sure Ahab would have paid Naboth way more than it was even worth if Naboth would have been willing to compromise. The problem is, he wasn't willing to compromise God's principle over passion. Naboth, he would have been set for life. He'd have never had to squish another grape between his toes for as long as he lived. That would be all over with. 
But obeying God and living by His principles was more important to him. And that raises a question, how common is that in people's lives today? Well, I'll tell you, apparently it's not very common. I, I've used this illustration before. From I love to draw information from this book, a book written by a guy named James Patterson. He wrote this book, it's been several years back now, called The Day America Told the Truth. Anybody ever heard of that book? It's a real eye-opener. And for the most part, this book is an attempt to find out what kind of worldview does the average American have? Do they really have, do most of our people have any kind of real Christian worldview? And the answer he got was, no, not very many. What they did was they went out and they surveyed, not hundreds, Thousands of people all across the country from all different lifestyles, all different ethnicities, rich, poor, black, white, you name it. They surveyed people with, and here's what they asked them all. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? And they gave them these different scenarios. Would you be willing to do such and such for $10 million? And here are the answers they got from thousands, a great cross-section of American people. 25% of men, how many is that? One out of four, right? One out of four men said they would permanently abandon their entire family for $10 million. Almost the same percentage of women, 23%, that's right at one out of four women, said they would become prostitutes for one month for $10 million. I'm not making any of this up. Here's one. Didn't surprise me at all. 25% of the people questioned said they would abandon their church for $10 million. I said, that's no big deal. People do that for free quite often. <laughs> but that's what he came up with somehow. There's a shocker. 20% one out of five people, one out of five Americans that were surveyed said they would abandon their, they would surrender their American citizenship for $10 million. 20% said they would leave their spouse for $10 million. I've got a feeling some said 10 bucks. <laughs> I can't believe this was only 20% because the statistic that I've heard for years and years is that 50% of marriages end in divorce. So I was surprised that wasn't higher, but that 20% said they would, these might have been people that were claiming to be happily married, but they said they would leave it all for $10 million. Find someone else to be happy with, with that kind of cash, huh? I think that's what they're thinking. 17%, that's almost one out of five people. It's getting a little scarier here said that they would withhold vital testimony in a, in a trial and let a murderer go free for $10 million. 7%, we're getting, that's close to one out of 10. We've got a couple hundred people in here. 7%, they would kill an absolute stranger for $10 million. 200 people, that's a 14 of you. You might want to keep your eyes open. There's people willing to kill you for $10 million. 
Isn't that amazing? And 3% said they would sell their children for $10 million. One guy was asked after saying he'd do it, he said, what kind of parent are you willing to part with your kids for any amount of money? And the guy said, well, what do you mean part with them? He says, you don't know my kids. One week, they'll be bringing them back to me for 100 bucks. <laughs> Apparently, that's what one guy said. I don't know. But here's the question I want to ask. Here's the question I want answered. Do you think that these average American people who agreed that they would do these horrific things for $10 million, do you think their answer would have been the same? Do you think they would have agreed to do these crazy things if the offer had been 100 bucks? How many of you think it'd be very, very few? Very few people going to kill somebody for $100, going to leave their spouse, going to surrender their citizenship. It's highly, highly doubtful any of them or many of them would have agreed to that. So that's the exact point of this story. You see, obviously $10 million is a crazy amount of money. But this study really wasn't about money. The study was about whether people are really all that interested in living a life by principle or living it by passion. That's what the study was about. And what he learned was as the dollar amount went up, the standard of principle went down. Which means you have no principles at all because principles are always steadfast. You either have principles or you don't. $10 billion will not alter or buy out a principle. And Naboth was determined to live by God's principles, right? King Ahab was completely dri driven by passions. So when you stop and you look at the situation real close, you have to probably admit sometimes it is easy for us to live kind of like King Ahab. Because it is pretty much the same thing that gets all of us in trouble. Think about all the times you've gotten yourself in some real messes in life, and most of the time you can trace it back to making a decision that you based on desire or emotion or passion instead of basing it on principle. You all with me? There's a lot of people, there is a bunch of people in this world who leave their cell phones on during church. They're just, they're all over the place. <laughs> With the volume real loud. I was about to say, there's a lot of people who cannot be content unless they get everything they want and they always get their own way. They're called liberals. No, I'm just kidding. I just, <laughs> I, I, I just threw that in for, I'm sorry. I don't even know where that came from. I'm the... <laughs> well, nobody walked out, so okay, good. <laughs> it's always our heart. It's always our heart that makes the difference. You look at the Apostle Paul. <laughs> you don't want to look at the Apostle Paul with me? Liberal. 
You just wait, you just wait and see. I'm kidding. <laughs> Boy, she gonna be mad at me. My, my morning's gonna be full, but anyway, okay. <clears throat> you look at the apostle Paul, he was content while he was chained up in this nasty rat-infested prison, he was able to find contentment in life. And you contrast that with King Ahab, he can't even be content owning thousands of acres of land, ruling over an entire country, living in two very luxurious palaces. He can't be content because there's this little thing he wants that he can't get. And when that happens, he throws reasonable right out the window. And how many of us have ever done that? So here's another truth. Living life by principles will always lead to righteousness and vice versa. You look up the definition of righteousness, integrity, purity of heart, just and honest. Naboth replied, the Lord forbids that I should give you the inheritance of my father. He didn't start by saying, well, you know, let me think about that. And that you know, I can name my own price. That sounds pretty good. No, he immediately says, the Lord forbids that I should give away the inheritance of my fathers. He could have been instantly wealthy. It had been like taking the 10 million, you know, instantly wealthy. Ahab made a reasonable offer probably to soothe his own conscience because he knew that what he was asking for was against Jewish law. He was aware of this. But how many of us have ever made up our own reasonable offers to kind of justify something we're doing that we know is wrong? You know, you, whatever the scenario. Well, you know, maybe I fudge a little on my income tax. I'll have more money to give to the Lord. Oh, we can justify, you know, or whatever the situation is. We can justify all sorts of things. We've all probably been guilty of making up our own reasonable offers before. But Naboth's concern had nothing to do with wealth. His concern was all about righteousness. And that's why he immediately responds, no, the Lord forbids. In other words, his very first instinct is to obey the Lord. And I think it has to really please God when we immediately, without a second thought, choose to do what's right. Now, maybe a lot of times we ultimately decide to do what's right, but not before agonizing over all the benefits of doing what's wrong. Who knows what I'm talking about? We have to kind of talk ourselves into doing what's right because ooh, doing what's wrong really kind of sounding good. So I'm sure the Lord appreciates us coming to the right choice, but I think it has to honor God even so much more when our first inclination is to just do what's right. And that comes with Christian maturity and a life led by the Holy Spirit. If your first inclination is always to do what's wrong and you've just got to wrestle internally with yourself to do what's right, it's probably a very good sign that you really need to focus on strengthening your relationship with the Lord and raising your level of maturity with the Lord. Naboth was a man completely ruled by principle, not by passion. He was refusing an earthly king in order to be obedient to his heavenly king, right? 
And there's a lot of reasonable sounding offers in the world today, but they rarely lead to righteousness. Do you have the strength and the commitment to just say no right off the bat? King Ahab's life of compromise, I would say it didn't happen overnight. I would venture to guess a lot of it started when he chose to marry this very strong-willed woman who just also happened to be a Baal worshiper. I mean, evil to the core. And Jezebel slowly drew Ahab's heart away from God to the point where he turned himself over to Baal worship. And that leads me to the next point. Without God in your life, passions rather than principles rapidly take over. It doesn't take long at all. Sometimes it's overnight. When passion begins to rule your life, you, you begin to lose the ability to see the big picture. And you begin to care and, and think about one thing. You. What's in it for you? I've got a hunch that Ahab knew enough of the law to know that Naboth was completely right. He just didn't care. He just wanted that vineyard, and I mean, that was that. So he puts on his little pouty face, you know, and he goes home, he climbs in bed, and he won't eat. And Jezebel, his wife, comes in. She said, what in the world is wrong with you? And he said, well, I, I want that vineyard, and Naboth says, I can't have it. And she says, for crying out loud, would you stop sniveling? Get out of bed. Put your big boy pants on. You're making me sick. I'll get your stupid vineyard for you. She was a tough old gal, right? And he just laid there, well, <laughs> okay. Now here's something that you can, I mean, you can set your watch by this. When passion and emotions rule your life, you always fail to notice your blessings. It's just all about you. You look at Ahab. He, he's so knotted up, he can't sleep, he won't eat. All over this little dinky vineyard, he's completely ungrateful about the fact that he has all of these of this wealth of possessions. Immeasurable to most people. But you have to remember, when you're ruled by passion, you will not see the big picture. It's like you've got blinders on. Living by passion will make you ruthless. Living by passion will make you ruthless. You'll do things you never dreamt you would, would ever do. I've got a feeling that Ahab was just waiting for old Jezebel to come in and ask him what was wrong. I think he knew exactly what she'd do. And he didn't care if some tragedy were to befall Naboth. He just didn't have the guts to pull the trigger himself, right? He was more than happy to let Jezebel do all the dirty work. And that way, in his mind, it kind of kept his hands clean from the whole deal. And kind of ironically, Jezebel... She knows a little Jewish law too. She uses Jewish law to get Naboth killed. She knows enough to hire these two goons that will falsely testify that Naboth has blasphemed God and immediately they're going to take him out and stone him. And that's exactly what they did. 
But here is something very, very important for all of us to remember. We can't justify our passions with God's Word. We have to discipline our passions with God's Word. Everybody catch that? You can't justify your passion using God's Word. You have to learn to discipline these internal passions, this flesh that just rises up. We have to learn to discipline that with God's Word. And ultimately, Ahab and Jezebel, I mean, they brought a lot of pain and misery upon themselves into their lives. And the truth is this. Pain is inevitable for all of us. We're all going to experience pain in life. Misery is always optional. You aware of that? You can experience all kinds of storms in life, all kinds of pain in life, but you get to choose whether you're going to sit around and be miserable or not. That's your choice. God will lift you up above the misery. He'll lift you out of the pain. You may not get lifted out of the consequences that you're in due to bad choices you've made, but He will lift us up out of the pain to where we don't have to be miserable because of His grace in our life. We know that ultimately things are going to turn out okay if we have the Lord in our life. So lastly, living by passion will ultimately lead to retribution. Another good word for retribution is payday. Elijah was telling them, he was there to tell them, well, you know, you've made some pretty raunchy decisions, and I'm just here to tell you, payday is coming. It's not going to be a happy payday where you dance all the way to the bank. This is going to be a lousy payday. You know, Ahab is basking in this victory of his vineyard, And God sends Elijah to deliver this little message from God. And I'll tell you, in those days, if Elijah showed up at your place and says, I've got a message from you from God, a lot of times you could just be ready for your day to get really, really bad. Because he never pulled any punches. Boy, he'd just tell it like it is, right? And so he's got this very unpleasant message for Ahab and Jezebel who think they, they can hide all this stuff from God. And basically, he says, here's the message. And I'm doing my own interpretation here. He shows. He says, the message is this. Sin has a very, very steep price, and you two have maxed out your spending limit. And now it's payday. All of Ahab's problems had been brought on by these decisions that were driven by passion. None of these things had been an accident. You know, we all suffer pain in life from accidents that we are beyond our control. But what you really got to concern yourself with, more often than not, are bad choices that you make. Things that you choose to do and the consequences that are going to follow. Bad choices will hurt you more than accidents. Did you know this? To kind of put some things in perspective. Things that we worry about. A lot of times we worry about things that are really not worth worrying about. Will you agree with that? These are actual statistics, and I think mathematically I can prove something to you here this morning. In the United States, here in the United States, your chances of being killed by a terrorist, and we hear a lot of talk about that, right? Concern level is very high, terrorism, getting killed by terrorists. Your actual odds of being killed by a terrorist 
on American soil is 1 in 600,000. Not bad odds, right? 1 in 600,000. But did you know your chances of being shot dead on the streets of Los Angeles are 1 in 60,000? 10 times worse. Where's the, what's the lesson there? <laughs> Don't go to Los Angeles. <laughs> you just stay put. I think it's actually probably talking about any major metropolitan area. And here's something very interesting, driven by mathematics. Your odds of winning the Texas State Lottery are 1 in 26 million. 1 in 26 million. So if you're okay with those odds, the law of averages proves this point. You're spending hard-earned money buying lottery tickets, thinking, man, I, I might just win this thing. You might as well just stop and give it up because mathematics would prove to us you're 43 times more likely to be killed by a terrorist before you have a chance to spend the money. <laughs> That's, those are math doesn't lie, folks. So here's something pretty sobering. Very sobering. Even though your odds of being killed by a terrorist are only one in 600,000, or being shot dead out on the streets, one in 60,000, today a human being's chances of being murdered while in the womb of an American woman is one in five. Makes everything else all of a sudden look very, very insignificant. I mean, by far and away, the greatest enemy to the American citizen is certainly not an Arab terrorist. Most of life's misery can be traced back to choices that we make. Choices that are based on passion rather than on principle. But I want to end with this. I always like to end with good news. Aren't you glad? Don't you prefer a story that ends with good news? Do you like that? Well, if that's true, don't ever watch the movie Terms of Endearment. That's all I'm going to say. It's a waste of two hours of your life. Repentance to God will rid your life of misery. That's the good news. I'm glad you're so excited about that. I'm going to say it again. Repentance to God rids your life of misery. Ahab was so shook up, it actually did move him to repentance. We read that at the end of the story. And because he was sincere, God actually did delay for several years the judgment on him. If you go ahead and read further into chapter 22, though, you find out his repentance didn't last forever. He gets himself into some more trouble, and ultimately he does die. And ultimately the dogs do lap up his blood, just as Elijah had prophesied. And Jezebel, yep, same thing. She was, ended up being dragged through the streets and ultimately eaten by dogs. Elijah was never one to miss a good prophecy. He was always dead on. But the good news here this morning, the great truth is that real godly repentance always moves us out from under judgment to under His grace. And there's a world of difference between living under judgment and living under God's grace. Amen? A godly response to the mistakes that we've made in life is going to make all the difference in your quality of life and ultimately in your eternity. That's how you respond to the mistakes you've made 
has a lot to do with your quality of life and ultimately your forever and ever and ever. And man, that is a long time. Even after horrible choices that we make sometimes out of passion or desire, God offers us this place of forgiveness and healing if we just turn to Him and repent and turn from our sins. I tell you, Ahab had made a really lousy bargain, didn't he? He traded his peace of mind for a piece of property. That's a bad deal, right? Traded his peace of mind for a piece of property. It comes so much more natural to us to live by passion than to live by principle. But the end result is never going to be a bargain. Amen? Never going to be a bargain. I mean, the great thing is that all of God's promises to us in His Word, they're all completely true. They're all real. It is the exact opposite of all the promises that Satan tempts us with. Oh man, he makes it look so good and so tempting. And it's just hanging out there waiting for us to grab onto, but the result is always the very worst possible deal. It's always a lie. God doesn't want us to experience the grapes of wrath. He wants us to enjoy what the Bible refers to as the new wine of His Spirit. Not the old junk. He doesn't want us dealing with the old junk. He wants us to have the new stuff. Amen? The good stuff. And we'll, He provides that for us when we live our life by His principles instead of living, by, living life by whatever we happen to be feeling like that day. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com, connect with us on Facebook, or call us at 210-657-3578.